It's a tradition. It's a privilege. It's a right as an American to be able to go and harvest your own game and to do something that's for your own family that no one else can can do but you. Welcome in to Like a Man. I'm your host, Miles Nielsen. For this episode, I invited Jared Nielsen to come on and tell us why he hunts, and then share a really cool once-in-a-lifetime hunting experience. Jared is a lifetime hunter, and not only is he passionate about the hunt, but he is also convincing as to why every man should do it. Let's give it a listen. No, I'm the oldest of eight kids, and my dad and I, my dad just, he worked so hard. He was so committed to our family. And he worked usually two and sometimes three jobs to try to provide for us. But, you know, there was one day a year that we would actually go hunting. And I looked so forward to spending that time with my dad. We just, when I was little, it was a family reunion. It was grandpa and grandma. It was my aunts and uncles. And I can even remember a time when my mom came deer hunting with us and we all had a deer hunt camp. It was just so memorable. My cousins were with me and it was just a special time. And so hunting for me became more of a tradition as a child that was just one on one time with my dad. He was just so busy. He was so faithful, so committed to, to serving God. He was so committed to loving his family and providing for his family, but he just didn't even have really time to go one-on-one for the deer hunt. And so that became a tradition for me, Miles, that I just looked so forward to the deer hunt. Uh, I can remember even as an eight-year-old kid, my mom and dad still laugh. I refused to take my orange coat off because I didn't want to wear this little powder blue sweater for my school picture. So if you look back at my second grade picture, you'll see this one kid wearing an orange coat. That was me. They let you wear it? Yeah, they That's let me awesome. wear it for my, my school picture. So one of my memories and you know I the the first time my dad ever shot a deer I was five years old and I was so proud of my dad I we have another old old picture that has me and my two younger siblings my dad and grandpa in it with this deer that he had shot and it's pretty interesting I still have that set of horns um here at my house that it has a little chip off one of the tips of the antlers because grandpa had come and helped us pull the deer out of a, a wash with a tractor. And when he backed up to turn the tractor around on this narrow road, the antler tine got caught underneath one of the treads of the tractor, the back tractor tire, and it popped the tip off. Wow. And I can remember being a little kid, five years old, I was so upset that, oh, I, I, that deer got run over. Anyway, but, you know, the other thing that I, I think of, I mean, all growing up, that was that was my experience. Was it was a family time. As I got older, I shot my first deer in Utah. It was legal then to shoot a deer when you're 16, and and I shot my first deer when I was 16. And our grandpa was just an expert at taking care of meat, processing meat. So I just had this passion for taking care of meat, and Grandpa helped me pull the hide and. And I uh, got it, clean it, and hang the carcass. Went home and you know, honored our, our Sunday and came back on Monday. 
And Grandma Nielsen told me, go cut up your deer and we'll put it in the bottles and we'll pressure can it, pressure cook it. And that's what we did. I, I cut up my first deer when I was 16 by myself out in my grandpa's shop and uh, cut it into small cubes and chunks and filled up pint bottles with deer meat and put it in a pressure canner with my grandma. And that's still something that I do with all my animals. Um, we have canned meat. And my son's at college now, and he takes cans of pre-cooked stewed meat that he can pop open. And I I now do all types of flavors for him and for our family that everything from uh, some different Asian flavors that we really like to some different spaghetti and taco meats that I make. Um, and you can open it up and put it directly into a stew and it's ready to go. So we have stewed meat. We can make sandwich meat out of it. If you haven't ever tried canned meat that, that you've actually harvested and prepared for yourself, you're missing out. So it, to me, it's, it's more than just harvesting an animal. It's providing for my family. It's providing also the opportunity for others to be able to enjoy. And now that I'm turned 50 this last year and, you know, I had, one of the greatest hunt experiences of my life that I'd like to share with you. But I'll just say before that, that now I'm getting to the point where it's, as, it's more satisfying actually for me to take a kid in this last year, I took several kids out to hunt and taking them with their dads or, or even just alone. And, and we've had so much fun. It's just, it's just, it's a tradition. It's a, a privilege. It's a right as an American to be able to, to go and harvest your own game and to do something that's that's for your own family that no one else can can do but you and it's it's extremely satisfying but at the end of all the hunts my brothers and I anytime that we receive an animal we always take a moment and say a prayer and just thank God for the blessing of of the hunt so that's to me that's what hunting is it's it's tradition it's family it's family time it's friend time and it's it's honoring the fact that God's given us something that we can respect and, and show our gratitude and then do our best to, to preserve and care for. So, you know, when I, when I look at hunting, I think that, that one of the greatest things a, a guy can do is learn how to take care of the meat that he's given. And, you know, I love to just do my very best to bring home meat that's so clean that you don't even have to wash it off. I, I do everything I can to make sure that my meat stays as clean as free from air, free from dirt, leaves, debris, um, anything that would be contaminating to it, and then put it in bags and put it on ice as fast as I can and, and get it out. So that's where I am with hunting, and I, you know, I, I love it. We're we're getting ready to take my 12-year-old nephew this next deer season if he draws a tag to hunt. Looking forward to it, my nieces and nephews that are all younger now they look to what they call our our deer camp and we've made that our tradition and it's our little family reunion now so we love it you know grandpa still would eat bottled meat and he loved it and he would always mix it with mayonnaise and yep. he would put butter on the toast and then just put the mayonnaise meat on the toast and spread it and you would eat it and it was so good and it was always deer meat or elk meat that's the way we prepare it. It's funny because I've had so many friends that had never heard of it. And uh, a lot of times I'll take a little pint jar with me on, on a hunt and introduce my friends to it now. And just 
stand at the back of, of a, a truck or wherever we are and open up a bottle, pour off the liquid, have a couple pickles and put it on a piece of bread and eat it. And they, they're blown away. Um, I've had now several of my friends who have introduced their families to it. And it's the way they prepare their, their meat now. So it's, it's just a great thing. If, if you have never experienced that, that's just a great way to prepare your meat. And um, we also do jerky. We do um, different cuts and we have a grinder as well that we grind our meat. And uh, it's just, it's so satisfying to, to make sure that you know how to care for your meat. And then the next step to that is even knowing how to prepare the meat that you've gotten and, and present to your family, and your friends. Um, the last real kind of surprise that I had is my mom I had all my family up to our house and, and my mom was here. I'd made a nice stew and she ate a whole bowl and asked for seconds. My family's kind of leery to ask me sometimes, especially my, my sisters-in-law, like, what's the mystery meat today? Anyway, it was antelope that day, and it was a stewed antelope. And my mom said, this is the best meat I've ever had. What is it? And I told her it was antelope. And she said, you're kidding me. It was, it was tender. It was perfect. It was delicious. So anyway, you know, becoming a, a great hunter, becoming a great provider, becoming a great, I believe, even a cook or a, a presenter of the game that you prepare is it's so satisfying to see it from literally field to table. It's, it's a neat thing. So that's, that's part of why I love the hunt. Nothing's going to make you feel more like a man either than not only hunting, scouting, killing it, cleaning it, but then preparing it and then eating it. And that is, that's, that is the satisfaction. I, I mentioned before that I turned 50 this last year, I've waited the last 10 years to be able to draw a limited entry elk tag here in Utah and I finally drew that. And archery for me is the ultimate challenge of, of taking a game animal. And especially here in Utah, being able to get close enough to a bull elk that is a big bull. Um, a lot of guys will think of a big bull. When you've hunted deer and you've not been around elk, when you see an elk, it's an animal that can be as big as a horse in their body. Um, and then their antler configuration will, with the beams of the antler, reach back over their body, even beyond their body on a really, really big bull. And so a lot of guys will think that a, a five by five elk is a, a trophy or even a six by six elk. But when you've waited, you know, your lifetime and then for me to be able to draw this tag, I knew that when I, when I drew this tag in Utah, I really, really wanted to get an elk that would be at least 350 inches or better. And, uh, you know, when you, when you finally draw that, you've got to work hard enough that you can dedicate the time to be where the elk are during your hunt. You can't just go one day or one morning or after work. You've got to know where the elk are and you've got to be there. And that's being responsible to me. You can't just show up and, and think something's going to just drop in your lap. You can't just road hunt a big bull. You've got to know where they'll be. You've got to know the area well enough and you've got to go where they're going to going to be. So this this hunt lasted from August 20th till September 15th of 2022. So I'll spare you the details of all of all of this hunt, but the the key that I learned is I was I was hunting this steep face 
onto a flat and and there were two major canyons that came together so the wind was so unpredictable there were storms that week we'd had rain come in and out and the thing that i realized is i couldn't hike into this area pre light it was too precarious to go that far in the dark and it was too hard to get out after dark and not just push the animals out so after 12 days of hunting i i got in to one spot where i knew the elk would be it took me until 30 minutes before dark to have the elk come in and, and there's one particular six point bullet was just bugling he passed me under 30 yards and he just wasn't big enough for what I'd waited for that long. And then a group of 20 cows with another bugling bull came into the spring. And this bull was a seven by seven bull and he was just going crazy. He rushed the cows out of the water and all those cows came running right toward me and then stopped within 12 yards. And this bull went and checked the water and, and all of the rubs around that. And it was just, just beyond where I could move and get a good shot at him. Basically that, that evening uh, finished out where those, those elk kept creeping closer and closer. And I had this drifting wind downward of me and the, the cows and the cows got below me at eight yards and winded me and turned and started to rush off. So I did take a, a rush shot at that bull, but it was just not a, it wasn't the, a shot that actually um, connected at all. So I knew that I couldn't leave that area. So I just hiked up this ridge between two springs, threw out a tarp, put my sleeping bag down on it, slept until 3.30, and, uh, and then got up in the morning, rolled up my bedroll, put everything back into my pack, changed my clothes and freshened up, brushed my teeth, and I... I put on my headlamp and with my GPS, I followed the track to this other spring on a trail till I got to where that other spring was. And there are two wallows and a spring there. And it, when I say wallow, that's where the, the big bulls will come and, and get in the mud and just leave their scent, mark that area and just tell all the other bulls, hey, I'm here, but also let the cows know that they're there. And so I got into that area from three, I left at about four. By the time I got there, it was about five, five thirty. And I, in the with my headlamp, I just cleared all the brush and the, all of the grass, so I had a good shooting shooting lane into where this spring and this wallow were. And I just waited there. I had my backpack on the ground. I had trees behind me, and then brush in front of me, about two yards, three yards to the edge of this bank where then the springs and the wallow were and I just waited there in the dark with my arrow knocked and my bow ready and waited for about an hour till I could just see in the pre-dawn light the shadows of the banks where the spring and the wallows were and I ranged those and then I'd have to put my rangefinder out to the east to actually see the numbers the digital analog in my my rangefinder, and it was 16.2 yards to the far bank of this wallow. So I just sat there and I waited and waited and waited in the dark and it got brighter and brighter and brighter. And I could hear something to my left. It was up this ravine, but it sounded like maybe an antler or maybe a hoof, 
maybe breathing. And then suddenly there was a little robin next to me and it started fluttering its wings. So I thought, oh, it's a robin. And it jumped from branch to branch to branch. And then all of a sudden where that brush was cut out, 15 yards away, 13 yards away, and then stepped over to the 16 yards, this massive bull. And when I say massive, I mean the fronts just curved out over his nose and then went up to the, just pointed straight up. His second and thirds were short, but his fourth was this big royal that had these crown tines, seven point points that just popped out of the base of that. And he had such mass and his beams dropped back and just went clear back over his back. And when he walked, he just was so big that it, it just sent a ripple through the air of his body, displacing the cool morning air. He's just breathing and stepping and coming toward that spring. And he just went right over, put his head down in the spring. And I just let him just swallow. You could see his, his neck would just move, undulate as he'd swallow that water. I just brought my bow up and drew like I'd done a thousand times or more and just set it right on his vitals and just let the arrow go. It was so quiet. It even surprised me. And he jumped and ran up the hill, stopped. All I could see were his antlers looking side to side. And uh, he just took off running up the hillside out of my sight. And then I just heard him collapse in the trees. Anyway, it was such an amazing experience because, you know, you, you wait this long for this experience and then you have it happen. It's just, it's an incredible moment. And uh, I was by myself. One of my friends came from off the top of the mountain when I called him and he met me there to take pictures and some videos. Of course, you know, express gratitude to God for the, the moment because it was amazing and gratitude for the animal. Called some of my other cousins. They brought up five horses and it took two horses to carry the meat, one horse to carry the head and the horns. And then two of us rode out on the horses, leading the horses with the lead ropes. And it's the ultimate elk experience for me when I turned 50. And uh, it took eight coolers for us to get all the meat off of a hot day off that mountain. And we didn't lose any of it. And it's been the best meet. I've shared it with family and friends from California to here in Utah. And, and everybody that's had it said it's the best meat they've ever had. Everybody wants to say, oh, an old, old bull elk, I'll bet that's just tougher than tough. Everybody that's eaten the meat the way that we've taken care of it said it's the best meat they've ever had. So that's that was my experience this last year. And uh, a limited entry Utah archery elk hunt. And no, it's an experience. And again, the people that I've shared that that moment with, um, everybody who helped me, my family for giving me that that permission to be away from them while I I took that time. It was a culmination of of preparation and effort and hard work, but it was also a, a moment of gratitude. And you know, God's that good, and that's that's what I emphasized in the video of. You ever get a chance to see the video that I made when I'm holding that bull? It's just, you know, God's given us this great blessing. We're Americans. We have a privilege and a, and a right to protect the opportunities to hunt and, and just share that with future generations. And I, 
I hope that as men that we take the opportunity to to share those experiences with our families and and create another generation of hunters that want to honor and respect the land, the animal, and God. It's been 10 years since my last hunt, and I thought I'd never go hunting again. But after listening to Jared, I now plan to go hunting as much as possible. So men, go out there, go hunting, carry on those traditions, take your children with you. It'll become a fond memory for them and a fond memory for you for years to come. We're going to end this one by listening to the mystery sound of You'll Know It When You Hear It. (laughs) 